Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Banking on Innovation podcast. I'm so excited to bring you today a different kind of discussion on innovation. You know, as a country, an administration, a banking industry, and as individuals, we all have a vested interest in climate sustainability. And so today I'm pleased to welcome Chris Creedy, the Chief Investment Officer of the Department of Energy's Loan Program Office, or LPO. And Chris plays a vital role in helping the LPO make decisions that deliver high impact for the future of our country around sustainability. And he joined LPO from Goldman Sachs, where he managed over $75 billion in assets. So Chris, welcome to the podcast. Jody, thanks very much for having me on. You know, I was kidding with Chris beforehand that many of our guests, I have a pretty good understanding of what they're going to talk about and the messages they're going to deliver. But I'm fascinated to learn more about how the entire industry can lean in and really step up in our advancements around climate sustainability. So thank you again, Chris. No, I'm excited to share what we're doing at LPO to give you a perspective on how the financial markets and the public sector can work together. And uh, it's just a great opportunity to chat about a super important topic. So thank you very much. Yeah. So Chris, some in our audience, maybe even most, may not be aware of the mandate or the importance of these this three-letter acronym LPL. What is the LPO and why is it so important in the sustainability movement? Definitely. The Loan Programs Office was established actually back in 05. And, and we administer a number of different loan programs. So for the purpose of this podcast, we'll sort of aggregate them together. But as our applicants know, there are actually some fairly unique differences between the five programs that we administer. Each of the programs basically has the same idea. We offer senior debt to projects and companies in the energy space. The idea is that if we can help solve the financing problem for these projects, we can help commercialize technologies and projects faster than the private sector would without our help. And we think that we have that competitive advantage of the national labs, the 10,000 scientists and researchers who can help us de-risk certain risks better than the private sector. And uh, thus far, uh, it's been um, a relatively successful program. During the great financial crisis in 08, 09, 10, 11, the LPO had its sort of first big push of loans. The, the program had, 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 a, had a good amount of success our realized default percentage is about 3.4%. At the time we made those loans, we thought they would be about 8%. And so we've actually outperformed what we thought we were going to do. And now with the passage of IRA, and I'm sure we'll get into that later in your podcast, we have a, a new surge of loans that we are anticipating coming. And it is our, uh, our intention to underwrite those loans with the same rigor that we did the previous set. It's very impressive. And as you were alluding to, the LPO has really been supercharged the last few years as part of the current administration's clean energy ambition, and even bringing on 
very experienced and learned people like Jigger Shaw as a director and yourself as the chief investment officer as well. But people may not know that historically, the LPO played a vital role in key technologies even early at, the, at its incipients. And many may not know that you played in a vital role in the early success and survival of Tesla. So what are the, the sectors in which LPO focuses on now? And, and why have you chosen these specific categories? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that that's actually a good point. So 08, 09, 10, 11, as you mentioned, we were a debt investor with Tesla. We were also extremely active in the early stages of utility scale solar, trying to figure out how to increase the amount of solar energy production in the US at, at utility scale. Fast forward about a decade, a little bit more, and that is a, that is a relatively bankable product. And so the kinds of technologies that we're looking at now share the characteristics that the technologies that we invested in 12 years ago have, namely that they're a little bit early stage. So we're looking at a number of different technologies, whether that's offshore wind, onshoring, reshoring, and friendshoring battery chemistries for the battery supply chain for electric vehicles, trying to figure out how to engage in advanced nuclear, virtual power plants, and the connectivity of homes and buildings to grids to allow for bi-directional information exchange. I'm sure I'm leaving out a bunch of different technologies, geothermal, battery, utility scale battery storage. There's all kinds of really interesting technologies that are out there, all of which sort of share the similar characteristics that the deals 12 or 13 years ago shared, which is they're a little bit early stage for broad bankability. And so you'll often hear Jigger talk about this bridge to bankability that we're trying to help technologies and projects cross. And that's exactly, uh, that's exactly what we're trying to do. Figure out ways to provide debt financing to technologies to help spur the commercialization such that when you and I are talking in 2035, 2036, these technologies have been readily banked and we've moved on to the next, uh, the next set of technologies. Intriguing. And, you know, this is all within the backdrop of, let's call it a kind of a fascinating environment right now where so many things are in, in motion and new macro trends are, are developing. I'm curious from, from the LPO side, how, how, what are some of the key macro trends or development, let's say even over the past year, that are relevant? And, and how has that evolved your priorities, processes, pace of investment and efforts? There's a number of different you know, macro developments that, that we're paying attention to. I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't highlight some of the concerns that the banking sector has had over the past three or four months. That obviously affects a lot of listeners to your podcast. And if, I, if, I'm, if I'm being um, uh, blunt, like the change in credit spreads and the widening of credit spreads has uh, made our program disproportionately more attractive to some borrowers. Um, many of our, of our borrowers really couldn't access broad financing um, at anywhere near the rates that, that, that we can offer anyway, but that, 
that sort of uh, chilling effect of the banking sector certainly has been something that 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 our applicants have noted. Away from that, though, there's an enormous desire to onshore a lot of the supply chains. And so um, if you look at the early uh, transactions that have come under uh, Secretary Granholm and Jigger's watch, you'll see a lot of EV battery, battery supply chain and component transactions. And the idea is, is that we're trying to onshore a lot of that supply chain, whether that's the first ever anode assembly facility in the United States, whether that's uh, a significant investment in cathode, both assembly facilities as well as uh, uh, recycling. And then, of course, uh, the, the uh, OEMs and the, and the EV battery assemblers themselves. So as we think about, um, you know, what, 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 what do we see and what are, what are we preparing for? Certainly a significant amount of EV uh, sales as a percentage of total car sales. Um, you know, over the next seven to 10 years. It's very intriguing. You talked about, Chris, that LPO is positioned as a bridge to bankability because you're actually taking on market risk, technology risk, commercialization risk. So even more impressive, the, the kinds of loss rates that you've had. But let's discuss now and transition to the role of the banking industry in climate sustainability. Project, if you would, a because I know you, you probably like to, to help forecast what's coming and it's difficult to predict, but how would you lay out kind of a three horizon path? What should banks be doing right now? What should they be preparing for in the next kind of 12 to 24 months? And then what would you like to see as an aspirational role for the industry around climate 24 months plus? Easy question, Chris. Yeah, no, uh, it's uh, <laughs> I, the, the, the what should they be doing now question. There's a, there are a number of investable asset classes right now that banks should continue to bank, whether that's utility scale solar, whether that's um, uh, opportunities in uh, the consumer space, which we'll get into in a second. To the extent that banks feel comfortable with certain technologies now, they should they should continue to bank those. I certainly understand the desire to say, okay, well, what's the next 12 to 24 months going to look like? And what, 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 what's going to look like after that? I think that we should, whenever we're doing forecasting, remember to take a nice healthy dose of uncertainty. We, you know, there's a lot of uh, paths in the future and, and exactly how this is going to go. We don't know, but I feel like if we do our job correctly, we're going to help de-risk certain technologies and that will allow for follow-on projects and companies. And it would be great if the banking sector stepped in to provide high-level senior financing to, to those sectors. I would, I would also hope that as we move forward, that we can continue to co collaborate with our financial partners, with our financial industry partners. That could really take a number of different flavors. I could easily see us being uh, co-investors. We provide debt, Bank X provides debt. I could see us being a uh, guarantor. Uh, 
in addition to compelling uh, the United States Treasury to make a loan, we also can guarantee a loan from a private from a private bank. So um, one of the things that we that we are looking at are partnerships, ways to work with banks to see if we can de-risk through our guarantee projects that they are actually very excited about. And so when we're talking with our financial institution partners, we're trying to bring up all of those conversations and and say, hey, what are you seeing? What are your clients seeing? And how can we work together to sort of solve those problems? Because again, high level, our ultimate objective is to not only pull forward as much capital expenditure in clean energy as we can, but to really catalyze that deployment and um, investment in these in these emerging industries, which we think are absolutely critical for decarbonization. You know what I, mean, I really 20, twenty four oh. months. <laughs> sorry, Jody. Twenty four months from now, it's really hard to say, but I'm hopeful that we've succeeded, and uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, and and that and that you know. Whatever, whatever the next, uh, whatever the next technology uh, is, um, we've de- we've de-risked it enough, or we've induced enough capital to be formed in that industry, such that the banking sector is readily and w- re- ready and available to bank it, and they are you know just part of the the financial ecosystem without our assistance. You know what I appreciate about what you said. You know the perception let's say, would be that, okay, governmental programs, fairly rigid, you know, bureaucratic, you have to fit within a box. Everything you talked about, Chris, was actually adapting to uncertainty into a world where we're making bets. And we also need to adapt, not just the kinds of investment profiles, which I know you look closely at, but even how you work with an ecosystem. So I can really appreciate how that's been maybe as a centerpiece of the program, which is this is a model, a program, an entity which we'll need to adapt to be able to drive maximum impact. But it actually may look different in terms of composition a few years from now, depending on how things play out. Certainly hopeful. I mean, you know, and, and, and especially as you go further and further out, the composition of the technologies will change and the needs of the financial markets will change. Yeah. So Chris, let's shift now to the actual behaviors of the end customer, consumers, small businesses. I'm curious as to your point of view here, which is how do you think that banks can help consumers, small businesses better align their purchasing activity with their personal values? Let's say climate and sustainability is very important to a growing segment of customers. How can banks help them better align those values and encourage certain kinds of behavior around their spending and their savings? Jody, I think this is one of the most important topics that we could talk about. There's an enormous amount of CapEx that's going to need to be spent in the residential sector over the next seven to 10 years if we're going to achieve our climate objectives, our 2035 and 2050 climate objectives. And you know, rough numbers, buildings represent something like 40% of emissions in the United States. And for us to seriously reduce those emissions, then we're going to need to see investment in those buildings starting today. So on the 
on the residential side, the LPO announced their first consumer-related transaction about a month ago. We're using our guarantee authority to help induce a behavioral change in the residential solar market. Namely, we want the inclusion of virtual power plant, VPP technologies, to be in every rooftop solar, every battery that's installed, because we fully believe that one of the biggest issues that we're going to we're going to face as a country is the more and more solar and wind projects as a percentage of the energy produced in the United States increases, the more we need the use or demand of electricity to itself be a function of the supply. And in order for that to work, we need VPP technologies, grid interactive buildings of the future. And so that technology is relatively nation. And so if we're going to get to where we want to be in 2035, we need, we, we, need, we need to help induce that behavioral change. And so this is sort of the first of what we hope is a, a good number of transactions where we're helping the consumer get access to and induce the behavioral change such that they buy these technologies. So another example of this kind of technology would be heat pumps. So if we could figure out a way to induce the purchase of heat pumps as opposed to traditional HVAC, that's another way that we can help electrify the, 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 the home. And even better, if those heat pumps had bi-directional technology such that they could ask the grid, hey, what temperature should I be at right now? And the grid says, it's California, it's summer, it's 1 p.m. We have a lot of solar, energy's really cheap. Why don't you drop your temperature a little bit more than you would normally? Hey, it's 5 p.m., it's 6 p.m. in August. Everyone, the sun's at a lower angle. Everyone just plugged in their EV. It's really taxing on us. Do you think you could calm down for a couple of hours? And have that all happen without the consumer being bothered because it's all done by software. That would be amazing. And so for us to get there, we need to make some investments today. And so the banking sector, the government and, and public sector, the technology sector need to work together to figure out how do we get that technology into the homes? Because, you know, Every HVAC that's sold is 15 years before that home is going to invest again in that capital expenditure. And so these are things that we really need to think about today and, and sort of start getting on that right now. Exciting things to take on. So in the same vein, maybe we can pull on that a bit more. Consumers and small businesses and businesses, you know, they have a close relationship with their money that, that banks help them with money management tools. How's my spending doing, my cash flow? Do you envisage a model where customers can have a close affiliation through like the equivalent of money management tools around their sustainability impact, where banks can actually give them tools to understand their purchasing activity? Are they buying from the merchants that have strong ESG considerations and scores? Can you help us think about what, what role can 
can the banks have in putting more of these tools in the hands of customers so they're making better decisions? Yeah, I mean, there's a number of different things. You mentioned a few, and I will uh, amplify those to the extent <clears throat> that there are scoring or information regarding the correct purchases or the optimal, let me use a different word, the optimal purchases for the home to reduce uh, the impact on carbon emissions, having the banks be partners with us in disseminating that information to their customers would be great. One of the biggest costs of the uh, uh, capital expenditures or, or the or the equipment that sales, uh, let, me, let me try this. The one of the biggest issues in getting the right distributed energy equipment into residential homes is the customer acquisition costs. And the banks have the customers. And so to the extent that they can partner with us, with other institutions to lower that customer acquisition cost and get the right optimal equipment into the homes, that is a really good first step. One could imagine better steps or later steps being differential borrowing rates. This is where we think we can help step in and say, hey, if you're going to buy the optimal equipment, we'll help the bank or we'll help the lender by using our guarantee authority to help reduce the, the cost of borrowing for that institution such that at the end consumer is able to borrow at a, at a more attractive rate if they are using it to finance the optimal equipment. And that's kind of what I mean by the behavioral change that we're looking to induce. And there's nothing really stopping the banks from doing that right now. Like, like that would be, that would be amazing. So there's a number of different tools, I think, in their toolkit. And I think from my perspective, it's just an invitation to roll up your sleeves and whiteboard out. Like, how can we work together to accomplish these uh, these very important objectives when it comes to the consumer? Yeah, we've, yeah, and, we've talked a lot about the residential side. I don't want to leave the commercial side. The please. banks and the insurance companies also have a really important role in the financing of uh, CNI buildings of, of of commercial buildings. And so on the commercial building side, when you buy a commercial building, the, the CapEx is usually in the model. And so, you know, here again, they can play an important role by saying, you know, what are your CapEx assumptions for this transaction? Oh, I see you're not putting in EV charging in the parking lot of your grocery store. Or, oh, I see you're putting on a new roof in three years. Are you also putting on distributed PV. I see you need to change your HVAC system. Have you thought about electric heat pumps? So there's a number of different things that on the lending side for especially the commercial real estate side that we can see um, uh, banks leaning in. And then on both the resi and the commercial, having the appraiser, appraised value of the home fully incorporate the energy costs, energy burden, potentially climate costs as they figure out what is the what is the what is the value of that property that'll go a long way in 
the transparency that we need as consumers or as, 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 as financial market participants to fully so, sort of see all of the different implications. You know, per your comments, Chris, even though we're operating in a fairly uncertain and let's call it rapidly evolving environment, what you're pointing to is actions that can be taken that are both, that can both have near-term impact, but also can, can create learnings or put the, the industry, the customer in a better position moving forward through those learnings as well. I think so. And Jody can be done now. Like yeah. these are, these are, um, you know, real opportunities for all of us to work together, to try to start making the investments that are made every year in the, um, I think the number that I saw is in the next, I think seven or 10 years, something like $2 trillion of CapEx is going to be uh, spent on the residential market. And we have an opportunity today to help turn most of that into optimal investments for the climate, uh, for addressing this climate crisis. And so how awesome is that? So let's work together and, and, try, to, and try to figure it out. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. In some ways, it's also changing the dynamic or the relationship between the bank and the consumer or bank and small business or bank and commercial customer by educating and informing about your purchase activity and about actions that you can take, either merchants that you can work with or solutions that you can put in place to improve your sustainability or changing the, the way that you evaluate risk or giving incentives in certain ways. In many ways, it's it's actually changing the dynamic around beyond just money, having the bank play and the banking industry play a central role in how consumers, small business, commercial kind of adapt to, I'll say, tactics, purchases, solutions that can really advance the, the entire climate sustainability sector. Yeah, uh, uh, I'd add to your list utilization of tax credits, both on the federal side ah, and the state side. These yeah. are very complicated things. And the banking sector can provide a lot of demystification, especially to the individual consumers yeah. and help them understand all of the all of the different programs that that are out there. Yeah, that's actually a great one. You know, we even since banks can really understand purchase transaction activity, you can see, for instance, just around what your gas spend may be, what your heating spend may be. You can translate for a specific customer, not just the benefits of the movement towards green, but even the kinds of incentives that they may be able to benefit from, where it's both an education for the customer and also for you as a customer, you will, you will likely save this much through the combination of energy savings plus tax incentives. And that's, it's complicated, right? So that's, that's actually a, a great point that the industry can play a role in the informing education and in some ways kind of optimizing at the, uh, at the household or the, you know, business level. Yeah. And, and energy burden, the cost of heat, electricity, the energy burden in a residential home has less impact on the valuation as that same burden does on, on the, on the commercial space. So, 
I do think that more of this data coming out and the aggregation of this data and the analysis of this data will actually help the banks in their risk um, uh, management as well. If you know the banking sector holds a ton of mortgages and understanding the uh, the consumer's energy burden as a as a uh, as a factor in in that analysis is good for the banks. It's obviously good for the consumer if we can figure out a way to reduce that burden, and it's good and it meets our climate objectives of trying to reduce carbon. So there's a number of different win wins, especially in the real estate space that I think the banking sector can really play a huge role in helping us find. You know, my firm, Personetics, is, is also excited to weigh in here and lean in around delivering sustainability insights that can help customers better manage their spending. But we know that this is actually just the early innings. There's so much more that the industry can do, and we're excited to be a part of it. So Chris, let me just let me end with our the question I ask all our guests, but I I do want to orient it more towards um, specifically your role in the LPO, which is for the sake of the planet and sustainability. What do you think is required of banks and credit unions in the next three to five years that the industry may not be well prepared for right now? So one of the things that I think we need to think about is as we are moving forward as a broad energy finance community, a lot of the energy investments that we're talking about don't really fit traditional large pockets of investors. Vanguard and Fidelity have very specific rules around what their mutual funds can buy. The, the large banks, especially the, the CIFIs, the, sustain, the strategically important financial institutions, have rules from the New York Fed as to what, what their portfolios can look like. And so speaking in particular to your advisor community and the, and the investment banking community, figuring out ways to help the energy market mature these projects and companies faster than we are maturing companies normally. You know, the, the, the textbook example, if you were to go to business school, right, is you have, you know, you have your startup, your startup gets some sort of venture funding, it sells to private equity, it gets a, a, a turn of leverage from the private debt markets, it then can IPO, it's a below investment grade company, it gets uh, high yield debt and eventually becomes investment grade debt. And then all of a sudden it's in the S&P 500 and it's a mature company. And that takes a long time. If we can figure out a way to access those large pools of capital, the broad stock market, the broad debt markets, the bank loan markets, faster will help unlock a lot of that spending. And so working with the financial institutions, working from all the way from the venture funds, all the way through the private equity, through the, through the, the money managers, figuring out ways to mature these companies faster, I think will be important. And uh, I don't necessarily have any of the solutions for that, but I, I do smile when I hear large pockets of money CEOs saying, 
X trillions of dollars of my fund or my entity or my institution will be in the climate investment sector. But don't talk about how they solve that maturation problem or accelerate that maturation such that their funds are actually eligible to make those investments. And so we want to work with all of those institutions and try to help figure that out because, um, you know, that has to happen in order to unlock those really large pools of capital. Well, Chris, you've given us a lot to think about, and I'm so pleased that you decided to join us on our Banking on Innovation podcast. You know, it brings a completely different lens to innovation or customer-driven innovation, but one that's so vitally important for the administration, for the industry, for consumers, businesses, and the country as a whole. And I'm just, I'm thankful that people like you have stepped into uh, to governmental positions, bringing all of your experience, you and Jigger and many others, and are really powering this forward on behalf of the country and on behalf of all of the innovators out there that are really trying to make a difference around climate sustainability. So I applaud your efforts and I hope that, uh, that many will heed some of your, your comments and your, your asks. Well, Jody, I really appreciate it. If I can maybe end with this, my experience at the Department of Energy has been phenomenal. Um, it, you know, I, the, the, the vectors, the headwinds and tailwinds, I kind of got right. You know, I was going to get a lot of utility from uh, saving the polar bears and I was going to get a little bit of headwinds from government bureaucracy. Maybe I was off on the magnitude of both, but by <laughs> far, the, 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 the tailwinds have, have just greatly outweighed the headwinds. And it has been a wonderful experience. The people at the Department of Energy, especially at uh, the LPO, are phenomenal. They are really great partners to work with. And I would encourage any of your listeners to the extent that they have the public service bug uh, to really think about it, because I think it is really rewarding. And especially right now, at this point in time, given the mandate that we have from Congress, given the importance of climate investment in the world and the opportunity to be at the center of the commercialization of all these technologies, it's a lot of fun. So I really do. I, I really appreciate your comment, but I'm having a blast. And I, and I know that, uh, that my colleagues at, uh, at Energy are as well. Well, I know I'll get a lot of great feedback and responses. You've, uh, you've given some very thought-provoking ideas. And I love the, not just the work that you're doing now, but also the ambition that you're setting not just for the LPO, but really one that a uh, that the our entire banking industry can embrace and move us forward on something that's so important for the planet. So thank you, Chris. Really appreciate it. And I wish you the best because we all have a vested interest in it. Thanks, Jody. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you for joining another episode of Banking on Innovation. Make sure you subscribe to get future podcast episodes or follow us on Twitter at Personetics or on Personetics.com.